from the dark and chilly Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another Hail Mary episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks you bet your garden. It happens every fall. Suddenly, it's getting cooler, but your tomato plants are covered with almost their fruits. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's show, I'll reveal 10 tricks and tips that can help you ripen up some of those late-season love apples. Plus, we'll take that heap and helping of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and erroneously eclectic edifications. So keep your eyes and your ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you deflowering your tomato plants right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am, I am, I am your host. Mike McGrath, coming up later in the show, do you still have tomato plants outside that haven't given it up to frost yet, and you want to try to ripen up those last big green love apples? We got 10, 10, count them, 10, trip, trips, <laughs> oh, I'm back in college. We got 10 tips and tricks for you. Coming up in the question of the week. Uh, before that, I better start taking your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Dennis, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, Mike. How are you? I am excellent. Ducky. Great. In fact, you sound like you got a little hoarseness going on. Yeah, I've got a bit of a sore throat. All right. Well... Elm juice or something like that, isn't it? What you're supposed <laughs> to do. Uh, where are you, Dan? I'm in Hopewell, New Jersey. Oh, okay. Not too far from us. Uh, what can we do you for? I have a question. I actually emailed you a year ago, over a year ago now, uh, about a problem I was having starting uh, seedlings indoors. Okay. Uh, the leaves would, uh, cotyledons would fall off prematurely, mm -hmm. and leaves would curl, and more leaves would fall off, and uh, the plants really suffered and did not thrive while they were indoors. Uh, okay, so what's, we, what's your growing medium? The growing medium at that time was something from uh, uh, miracle Grow, but I've since switched to Aposa for this year. Aposa, I can't pronounce it properly. Oh, Espoma. But, uh, I switched it. Yeah, Espoma. And uh, that made no Unfortunately, that didn't make any difference. Okay, no, it's generally cultural problems when you're starting seeds. What kind of containers? Uh, little plats of, you know, six cell or, 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 uh, nine cell, depending on the, whether it's tomatoes or peppers or uh, lettuce. Gotcha. And, um, what did you use, uh, for extra light? Let's start with that. Okay. Uh, historically I've used, uh, fluorescent tubes and that worked fine, except mm -hmm. of course, tomatoes always get leggy in that, no matter what you do, uh, so I bought some of the LED lights right. and tried those. And the one thing that's been constant across the two years is I used the LED lights. 
And I'm beginning to believe that uh, maybe they're too intense for the plants, even though I kept them two feet away, as the, I am the instructions said to do. I'm so happy to have you on right now because I had used for many years four tube, four foot long fluorescent fixtures, and they mm -hmm. gave me perfect starts. And then I got fascinated with these, quote, garage lights, these, quote, deformable LEDs with wings. And I lost my whole crop of seedlings uh, this spring. They just burnt uh -huh. to the crisp. Uh, they yeah. are surprisingly hot for LEDs. And as you may realize, right. uh, starts simply want bottom heat until they sprout. And then they're not that sensitive about heat as long as it's like 55 to 70. Um, but I lost, in, and I'm serious, I lost my entire crop. I had to go out and, gr uh, I had to go out and, gr uh, <laughs> I can't talk today. I've been away too long. I had to, <laughs> I had to go out and buy started plants. And then I, I noticed that, it, you know, I was able to rescue some shipwreck survivors and grow them out but they were they were struggling for a while so i'll have a great late crop of tomatoes but i'm going to have to reevaluate those leds um there is a lot of heat coming off those things so at the very least i got to set up a fan in there uh yeah, yeah well, i did have a, i did have a fan but that didn't uh didn't seem to help Okay, the symptoms maybe, you're... Maybe you made it worse. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, matter of fact, there's an old technique I haven't mentioned in ages. Uh, when you have a lot of tomato starts all in a row or all in the same basic area, you take an index card and gently, I don't know, knock them over with it. <laughs> you know, I yeah. don't know how yeah. you gently knock anything over. But you uh, you kind of semi-abuse them, and then their natural instinct is to become stronger. So right. that used to be something that a lot of seed starters did. I haven't heard it mentioned in years. Well, the symptoms you describe to me are the symptoms of overwatering. Uh huh. Uh, yeah, that that made would make sense to me too, except that the uh, the root balls in the in the plants seem to be very good. I mean, mm -hmm. they fill up the pot and, uh, you know, come out. And I mean, a few of them didn't because the ones that were really badly affected just were just badly affected everywhere. But most of them came out with, uh, you know, very, uh, what do they call them, stout roots, very good roots. Right. So held, held the held the potting soil together nicely when I took them out. Right. The um, ones that didn't, however, were the roots rotten? Were they slimy? No, they were just sparse. Okay. When you were starting under fluorescent lights, uh, how long the bulbs, how many bulbs? Uh, Four-foot bulbs, and I usually started out with four when I was starting the season, then upped it to uh, eight as the plants got bigger and uh, really demanded more light. Who let this guy on the show? Come on, don't we screen these costs? <laughs> oh, man, it sounds like you've been doing most everything right. Um, except, and Except being... Sucked in by the LEDs, it sounds is not a good thing. Yeah. Oh no, no. Um, exactly right. Um, generally, the symptoms you describe are from uh, too much water. 
but you're saying your starts under the fluorescence uh, were fine. Yeah. We were sucked in yeah, by I mean, the late been... night TV ads, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. If you're, if you're up it's... after 10 o'clock at night, hide your credit card. <laughs> it's the Internet. <laughs> we'll blame the Internet. Why not? It's, it's the cause of all other distress in the world. Right. Yeah, I think you're easy, um, which is not to say you're cheap. My mother used to say it's okay. <laughs> it's okay to be easy as long as you're not cheap. Um, right. But I think next year I'm going to go back to my main crop being under four tube fluorescence fixtures, four feet long, and right. um, I'll experiment on a small basis with these um, deformable LEDs. It's just possible that they need to be like six feet away from the plants or something. Right. It, it is pretty bright in there when they're on. Well, generally right. plants like. <laughs> bright light when they're getting yeah, started, you know, otherwise they can get leggy. Uh, one piece of advice I can give you if you haven't been doing this already. Uh, well, first of all, you and I are both going to go back to fluorescence. And, yeah, it sounds that way. Yeah. And if you haven't done so already, buy new bulbs. Right. Because over the course of even one season of seed starting, uh, fluorescent tubes lose a lot of their luminosity, even though they mm -hmm. look just fine. Right. That's all I got. Yep. <laughs> That's all you got. Okay. That's I, all I, I did got. have one thought. Go ahead. I did have one thought. I thought I thought perhaps my water softener was uh, oh. was uh, misoperating, and I was I was salting the plants. So this summer, when I was starting some uh, lettuce seeds, right. I just did them in my little window greenhouse uh -huh. and used uh, you know. One with one with water softened water, one with not, and one with bottled water, mm -hmm. and they looked exactly the same. Huh. So, so I can't blame I can't blame the water. And <laughs> you were using the water softener water when you had success before. Yes, but I, you know water softeners are mechanical things and they can fail. Well, I blame the LEDs. Although I do advise people who have water softeners to collect rainfall. Uh, for their starts. Mm -hmm. It's not that hard to do. You don't need massive right. amounts. And there's n nothing better than real rain. Right. And, and I can also I can tap off before the, the water softener to get the water, too, so I don't have to... Uh, that sounds like a lot of work. The of the winter. That's easier, because all i got to do is turn the tap. I don't need, you know, <laughs> my, outdoor, my outdoor hoses are all uh, not water softened. Oh, so. that's good. Well, you could, yeah, just use that water. Yeah. All right, man. Good luck so to that, you in the spring. You right. make me feel better about my losses. And <laughs> let it be a lesson to everybody out there. You can be doing this stuff for 35 years, and mm. every once in a while, you're going to try something new, and you're going to realize you didn't need anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And actually, I've been doing this for probably closer to 50 years, with maybe a couple odd years where I missed because of... Uh, you know, I was younger then and moving around a lot. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm older than that now. All, All right. right. Well, thank you, sir. Well, thank you. You take care. Bye-bye. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs.
Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody in cool climes that your last runs of lettuce and other salad greens should be protected by row covers, also known as reme, or a, quote, blanket of sheer curtains. Don't use actual blankets. These items will keep your plants growing and producing for an extra month or maybe all winter. I'm still growing Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in beautiful Bethlehem, PA. I'm beautiful Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, for those of you who still have tomato plants out that haven't died of frost but have big greenies on them, we got 10 pieces of advice for you. You won't want to miss it, so stay tuned. 888-492-9444. Joe, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. How are you doing today? I am just ducky. Ducky is so glad to be back <laughs> from vacation, although he didn't mind going in the water, you know. Uh, how are you, sir? Um, finally having a day that's not 100 degrees, so better. I'm with you, man. We've had the hottest summer in my region and i think we just got out of our fourth heat wave you know multiple days of 90 or above and it's been brutally dry so yeah it's been a tough season where are you man uh norman oklahoma all right right near oklahoma city some of my favorite listeners out there we're glad to have you with us what can we do for you so I have a uh, raised garden bed. Um, I sent you pictures. I don't know if you actually had a chance to look at them. But, oh, wait a minute. Um, wait a minute. Yeah, my crew did hand me these, and I'm sure they're showing them on screen right now. This is a beautiful setup you have here, Joe. Um, thank you. Really nice wood frames um, with metal sides, right? Yes. Did you do this all from scratch? I did. You are very talented, um, and it's surrounded uh, by fencing that's, what, about five feet high? Uh, four feet. Four feet. Is it electrified? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. Um, and you got a, a great-looking doorway. I really i am fascinated by this door um, you got there. It almost looks well, like so it the... lights up on the bottom. 
<laughs> no, it's actually just uh, metal so that, you know, wood wood is a pretty good insulator. So I wanted to have an electric fence with the gate electrified because mm-hmm. squirrels are just so smart and creative. I didn't want to give them a chance to figure out how to get over, over Did they gate. get in? Absolutely. I found pieces of uh, half-eaten tomatoes all, of, all the time. Or did I used to? Yeah, I mean, uh, do you think they're coming? They're climbing up that doorway and jumping in. So um, last season uh, we had such a late freeze that I had black walnut trees around my property, and they all froze, which meant the squirrels had nothing to eat but uh, walking in my garden. Oh, the and poor they figured it. The poor rodents. The poor evil yeah, servants of Satan. Yeah, they're tree rats, and I. I won't tell your viewers what I've been doing to correct that, but... Um, they all have they, mental have... images right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so anyway, they, I, there was one actually was just staring staring at me from on top of the little pergola thing. Uh-huh. And so I, that's, so I had electrified the whole thing. Okay, good, good. Hope that'll work out. And be sure to cut down every tree within 50 feet of the garden. <laughs> yes. Because they can launch, but that's not what you're calling about. And by the way, I love I love the look. Did you just use corrugated metal um, mm-hmm. for yes. the sides as opposed to pre-cut or anything? Yes, I I mean I just bought the four by eight sheets of metal and cut them, and I used the whole four by eight sheets on the sides and just cut them in two for four by four on the ends. Excellent, excellent. I urge our listeners who are listening on radio stations or to the podcast to check out this week's show video version, the TV version of the show, which you can find at youbetyourgarden.org. There's a lot of visual stuff this week, and it's a beautiful setup you have there, man. Well, my hope, my hope reasoning is I started off with just, you know, one foot tall raised beds, which was fine. Mm-hmm. But I've gotten to that point in my life where I don't like to bend over. So that's one why I raised my, them on up. One of my primary rules is bending is for chumps. <laughs> yeah, well, I like I the height of, of your boxes as well. So the very bottom is sand, and then the top part is a, a rich mix. Uh, which I get from our local stockyard. Okay. Um, well, the plants in your boxes look very healthy, so I presume whatever it is, it's um, uh, the plants appreciate it. But uh, you know, you didn't call to talk about squirrels, right? No. Uh, what I called about is because on the bottom, again, I'm trying to eliminate as much uh, work as I can. So I typically will fill in between the boxes and around the sides. With a mixture, it's either, um, I'll call it mulch because they call it mulch. I know it's not really mulch, but just wood chips. And um, typically, I've been able to get those from our Norman Compost Center, which is free to load yourself, or for 10 bucks, they'll use a giant uh, front-end loader and completely cover up your entire pickup and fill the bed for 10 bucks. Uh-huh. They've been they've been out of business for this last year. They oh. All summer long, they all summer long, they said we'll have some in four to six weeks, and it's been all four to six weeks. So I went to a commercial guy who's close by, and he has you know all kinds of dyed, which I don't want, and mm-hmm. he had just the natural, which is what I got. But he also had cedar, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, wow, cedar's going to smell good, look nice. And I got to thinking, 
you have cedar closets, cedar chests to keep moths out, would that affect the pollinators if I had cedar, you know, spread all over the ground? Well, and, there are obviously your biggest pollinators are native bees and honey bees mm-hmm. and uh, beetles and things like that. Uh, There are some moths that are pollinators, and of course there are um, butterflies that are pollinators, and they're in the same Mm -hmm. family. Um, How aromatic is your mulch? Well, when you walk by the giant pile of it, I mean, you you feel like you're in the middle of redwood forest somewhere. It's really very, very aromatic. Fresh. Now, laying on the ground for a couple of weeks, it's probably not so much. Um. I want to correct you early on um, something you said. Uh, You said, I realize this isn't mulch. That is such a misnomer. Mulch is anything that covers the surface of the soil, prevents weeds, and retains moisture. Um, Okay. Pine straw is a great mulch. Shredded fall leaves are a great mulch. Um, Some people worry about it uh, producing weeds, But in reality, compost itself is even a good mulch. Um, I hear what you're saying about cedar. I don't know that there has been any research. Do you find a lack of butterflies in your garden? No, because I avoided that and went with a natural, just the natural cut and didn't use the cedar, even though the cedar was about $3 a yard cheaper. But I thought, you know what, I'm not going to take any chances. I just went with the other and I use the cedar around my flower beds because right well they need pollination well they do you're right but i don't really care if fruit grows on my roses so what do you have in your garden now is it what we call arborist tree mulch you know i just just fresh stuff from freshly cut trees and limbs yes yes i think you know I'm, i'm i'm shocked that cedar is less expensive that's i bizarro world that's what that's what the guy quoted me maybe they just had a big supply that day i'm not sure yeah i think there could could be productive uses um for cedar chips around certain parts of your house but i i think your instincts are correct um arborist wood mulch is the best type of wood mulch and there is, even though there's a great folklore, there's very little research on um, cedar chips for use around gardens. And I think most of the appeal is of the wonderful smell. Like here on the East Coast, sometimes we can get cocoa hull mulch uh, mm-hmm. that Hershey sends out to the different garden centers. And people love that because it's like they're aromatically eating a chocolate bar when they go outside. But I I think your instincts are correct. It's certainly not going to bring more pollinators in. The arborist wood chips aren't going to give you any mulch. And you can come and design my new garden beds anytime you want. (laughs) Well, I'm kicked proud of my irrigation system because I've got it set up on the Wi-Fi so I just when I want to turn on water, I just go Google water my garden and everything's good. Ah, well, you know, and and you've implied you're older than me, so I don't know. You know, I I, <laughs> I was staring at a typewriter in a shop window with lust in my eyes the other day. 
I sold one in the garage sale. You should have come by. Oh, yeah, sure. I haven't been in the Oklahoma City, Norman area in quite a while. I would love to be invited out to speak at the beautiful botanic garden you guys have there or anywhere else. Yeah. And yeah, if I do, you know, we got to meet. Yeah, I would love it. Okay. I listen to your show all the time. Oh, excellent. Well, thank you, Joe. And, um... I'd wish you luck, but it doesn't seem like you need much of it. <laughs> well, I, I, I appreciate your advice. I feel I feel better knowing that I probably did right with what I got. Oh, yes, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you again, and um, bye-bye for now. All right. Thank you. Bye. Kristen, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks so much, Mike. Well, thank you, Kristen. How are you doing? Oh, I'm wonderful. Enjoying a reprieve from the humidity of Tennessee. (laughs) I hear that. Um, What part of Tennessee? I live in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, currently outside of the city center, but we're, we're very close to Georgia. Okay. What can we do you for? Well, uh, I've recently relocated to a rental. I was uh, I owned a house uh, inside the the heat sink of the city, mm-hmm. and um, am am trying to move up the mountain to slightly cooler climbs. But uh, with the housing market being what it is, it's taking a little a little more time than anticipated. So we've we've parked our tushies in a rental for now, and. Along with all the uh, the humans and four-legged kiddos, we also have some plants that have come with us that I'm hoping to keep alive until we get somewhere more permanent. Okay. Um, so. <laughs> I believe, I, I remember your email. I believe you sent us pictures of a blueberry plant in a pot and a cutting from a fig in another pot. Yes. Yes, and I am thrilled. So I have an LSU purple fig, mm-hmm. and I was, I was fortunate enough that um, I just, you know, on a whim, buried one of the low branches and got it to take root while I was still at the old house. And then I could cut it and stick those roots in a pot, and it's, it's doing great. I've got tons of new leaves. I'm psyched. And then I also have a, uh, a sunshine Oh, gosh, a powder blue. That's it. A powder blue blueberry bush that is a few years old. And I I dug that up and stuck it in the biggest pot I could find. And I'm, I'm hoping to keep these suckers alive through the winter. Not only are blueberries very frost hardy, but they need a good amount of what's called winter chilling. So that thing should definitely stay outside. 
Um, what I would recommend, I don't know what your landscape looks like or what your limitations are, but would it be possible for you to find a spot somewhere, dig a hole, and drop the plant into the hole, pot and all? Possibly. <laughs> I might be able to get just a, just a little bit of the pot, but the, the ground is particularly um, hard. It's basically clay and then I think it's shale or limestone or I forget what it is, but some kind of hard rock that mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't dig very deep. Gotcha. Well, you, I would suggest you do the best you can. And because okay. uh, the blueberry is very frost hardy, and I'm thinking your winters don't get that cold. Um, we do have some hard freezes, but it's it's rare. It's, it's not the majority of nights, certainly. Well, what I would do is I would dig a hole as deep as I could get, and then I would collect some soil from around that area, drop the pot into the hole, and then use the other soil to kind of insulate the pot pile it up around it and as far out as you can go from the pot the better the plant is going to do but it should it should survive and you know if you can't get out in time it should flower and fruit in there you know the secret is just (laughs) just keep the soil acidic right got it okay as as for the fig cutting um Figs don't like hard frosts, and you just have a little baby fig. So mm-hmm. what I'm going to suggest, and you're welcome to go back a week or two and watch or listen uh, or both to the show where Lee Reich was my guest because his new book is all about growing figs in cold climates. Oh. Do you have a cool, unheated, but not freezing area in this rental? I have a basement, but also a garage. Okay. I, I would put it in the garage, the closest to the house as possible. Um, water it once and leave it alone. Then it can go out very early. Figs only need to be protected for about two months. But um, if you fail to protect them, they lose all their above-ground growth. And then it takes too long to regrow that for the plant to be able to produce figs. Well, I would keep my fingers crossed and light some candles and and do those things that you've outlined. (laughs) Very good. And good luck on finding your new place. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody out there that pansies are the flower for fall. Let's face it, those perfectly pruned mums really do look like a shower cap your aunt wore at the beach in the 50s. And ornamental cabbage and kale? I don't think they're ornamental. They look more like an alien mold that's creeping along than a front door decoration. Ah, but cold weather loving pansies are bright, happy plants that will delight you with their colorful faces all fall and then revive for another run in the spring. And they're edible, the flowers. I'm Edible Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
This is 91.3 FM, WLVR Bethlehem, WLVR.org. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am horribly invested, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll try and help you keep those last tomatoes alive until they can ripen up for you, and then you can go back to your real life. But before that, couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Dan, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, Mike. Hello, Dan. How you doing? I'm doing fine. And where is Dan doing fine? I'm currently in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. Okay. And what's up? What can we do you for? Well, I was at my mother's house last week helping out a bit. She's 91. And cleaning up uh, flower beds, weeding, and uh, apparently I invited uh, some turkeys to come in and take uh, <laughs> dust, ba- dust baths. Oh, so where does she live? She's in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Okay. And there's wild turkeys there. Yes, there are. There are a number of them. You know, Benjamin Franklin lobbied hard for them to be the national bird. He, he said they were a noble bird. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't eat an eagle. So um, I haven't seen a wild turkey on my property in years. But one of my fondest memories is I had a greenhouse in the backyard where I grew plants for displays at the Philadelphia Flower Show. And my kids were like uh, four and six. And they came out from behind the greenhouse and were greeted by a flock of wild turkeys who are exactly as tall as they were. And it was just, I don't know which one went screaming and running away the fastest. (laughs) They are noble birds. Um, Now, uh, uh, describe to me a little bit about her landscape. It's um, well. It was you know. It's it's a garden. It's a it's a garden. It's just a her, her flower garden in front of the house. It's uh, flat, and in the back of the yard there is um, it's wooded. So mm-hmm. there, it's uh, it's a habitat for some critters, um, deer and uh, and turkeys and other things. Well, in one way, that's fabulous. Uh, deer, I have no use for. Uh, but wild turkeys don't carry ticks, and they're right. really cool. So, oh, they're lovely, lovely birds. Yeah, and um, boy, and they're big. Yeah, they are enormously big. That's why I mentioned that story. Um, now, you say they were taking dust baths. That's what it appeared to me. You know, they say it sort of hollowed out the ground, and um, they uh, they actually got down far enough to dig up some bulbs. And uh, according to what I saw on the internet, that they like part of their. Uh, their care for their feathers is they take dust baths. 
Every bird does. That's one way to get the mites off of them. And it probably just feels good. You know, they're scratching themselves all over. Is there a possibility uh, the backyard is not ornamental? That is correct. It's just lawn. Why don't you dig up a portion of the lawn that's out of the way, out of your view, and replace it with sand? Or even drop a cheap sandbox over it, like one of those turtle things. Sure. And fill that with play sand, because they're going to encounter that before they would get to the front of the house. And, you know, maybe even put some cracked corn out. I I don't encourage feeding deer, but I think it would be cool to have wild turkeys around if they're not doing any damage. If uh, Yes, yes, definitely. Otherwise, um, the cure for something like this is to get chicken wire and lay it down flat on the ground in the flower bed. Now, that may mean a lot of transplanting, but it's the same with feral cats. Once you've covered the soil with this weird kind of metallic substance, they can't do anything with it. You know, cats won't poop where they can't cover it up and turkeys wouldn't be able to get past the chicken wire. So I say first give them some place to be because, you know, your mom, tell your mom about TikTok videos. She could become the world's oldest influencer. <laughs> and, Mom's 91, and she's not, uh, not too active anymore. Yeah. So uh, that's why uh, give them a place to play because they're wonderful creatures. And if they persist in attacking the flower bed, you got to cover it up with chicken wire. Okay. I was but wondering you, if just if moistening the ground it would make a difference. Yeah, you'd have to be moistening it 24-7. Okay. But um, the one thing about the chicken wire is once you've installed it over the soil, you press it down and nobody sees it. Right. So, so it doesn't detract from the ornamentalism. Sure thing. All right, man. All right, thank you. Hey, great question. Thank you. Take care. Right. Bye. at 888-492-9444. Kane, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, oh great king of compost. <laughs> well, somebody had to do it, and I was the only guy left in the room. How you doing, Kane? Yeah, good. How about yourself? I'm just ducky. Thanks for asking. And where is Kane? Highland Lakes. New Jersey. All right. What can we do you for? I have a crazy question for you. When making yard waste compost, brown leaves, uh, and using the coffee grounds, mm -hmm. does it matter if you use decaf coffee grounds? And the reason I ask is I know some of the um, 
I guess, decaffeination processes use chemicals, or maybe eliminate the nitrogen from the caffeine molecule. When coffee is decaffeinated, there are two different processes. One is what's called the water process. I don't know exactly what it involves, but the only thing that's added that somehow sucks most of the caffeine out is clean water. Uh, you are absolutely correct in, um, I'm not sure if it's still done, uh, but the other process is based on solvents, chemical solvents, and I can see why you'd want to avoid those in a compost pile. Um, who, who drinks the decaf? I do not. I'm a, a pure caffeine person, but uh, when I made compost, I didn't have enough coffee, so I went to one of the name brand places who would give you as many coffee grounds as you would like. Hmm. So we're talking about Starbucks. Yeah. You've got your question three-quarters of the way answered. Uh, go to the Starbucks website and, you know, look around and if you can click on decaf coffee, um, do it because, you know, they generally are very proud about where their beans come from and how they're handled. Um, or if there's a chat box, just ask directly, um, how is your coffee decaffeinated? But uh, you're absolutely right. I would not use uh, a solvent based uh, decaf coffee. All right, Mike, thank you very much. Hey, thank you for a great question. As promised, it is time for the question of the week. Last minute tomatoes or how to ripen up that last tomato of fall. Lynn in Akron, Pennsylvania, Lancaster County, writes, I watch your show on PBS and enjoy it very much. Thank you, Lynn. I bought an heirloom tomato plant this spring but lost the tag. Welcome to the club, Lynn. It's a small tomato, but I don't know what kind it is or what it should even look like when it's ripe. It was very slow to grow early on. It looks like the fruits are dark green and purple when they're unripe, and then turn in orange, yellow, and green when ripe, which has taken all summer. There are about 30 tomatoes of various sizes on the plant, which is still in the ground, and I know that time is running out. Thanks for any help you can provide. Lynn sent us a bunch of photos, which we'll show right now on the TV version of You Bet Your Garden and include when this article is published at the Gardens Alive website. We will also show the photos to our Facebook friends and see if anyone can ID this incredibly confusing tomato, which has me totally baffled. The orange, yellow, and green ones, which she feels are the ripe ones, are shaped like normal tomatoes and look unripe to me. The dark green and purple, almost black ones, are shaped decidedly like eggplants and look ripe to me. I attempted what I thought was an educated guess, but Lynn didn't think the tomatoes matched. So cats and kittens, take a look at these photos and tell us what you think. As an incentive, 
I will send a signed copy of my tomato book, the You Bet Your Garden Guide to Growing Great Tomatoes, to the listener, viewer, podcaster who sends in the first guess that Lynn agrees with. Kindly send those guesses to YBYG at WLVT.org. Okay, enough about that. Let's move on to some tips that everybody can use to hopefully ripen up those last tomatoes of fall. Number one, pinch off any flowers on the plants you want to ripen up their existing fruits. Same for teeny tiny tomatoes. There's very little chance they'll grow big before frost calls the game. Number two, be realistic. Not only are the nights getting cooler, but the hours of daylight are also now markedly shorter than they were back in June. When those of us who were forced to go to bed when it was still light out as children doggedly attempt to defy that mandate, no matter how tired we are and wind up falling asleep on the couch. If you're uncertain about a small tomato, pull it off. It will devote more of the plant's energy to the ones that are closer to full size. Number three, cover the plants with row covers or sheer curtains, not plastic or anything heavy. Professionally made row covers trap heat, but allow sunlight and water to pass through. The right type of sheer curtain material should do the same. But don't use clear plastic, as you might inadvertently cook the plants on a cool but sunny day. And don't use anything you can't see through, like a light summer sheet, for the reason that will be explained in number four. Number four, put the protection on and leave it on. Row covers are designed to stay on the plants night and day. If you foolishly believe you can throw a blanket over the plants at night and remove them first thing in the morning, you will likely dislodge most of the fruits or just plain kill the plants before nature has a chance to. Number five, do not prune off any green leaves. They are the solar panels attempting to use those greatly reduced hours of sunlight to keep things moving along. Number six, water when dry. Plants that are fully hydrated can survive lower temperatures than dry ones. If you go a week without rain, water each plant slowly at the base for an hour using a hose set to drip slowly. Number seven, don't delay the harvest. Once a tomato is half colored up, it is certain to finish ripening indoors. Just sit these breaker tomatoes out on the kitchen counter at room temperature. No direct sunlight. Number eight, become a weather channel stalker. Keep an eye on upcoming predicted temperatures from both national and local sources and trust the ones you like the least. Number nine, be prepared to call the game. If nighttime temperatures are predicted to dip below 40 degrees Fahrenheit, strip the plants and bring the fruits inside. The only exception is if the weather guessers predict one night that will dip to 38 or 39 degrees Fahrenheit, bookended by good and decent nighttime temperatures. In this case, 
Harvest any tomato that has begun to change color and roll the dice on your greenies. Remember that daytime temps mean nothing and the tomatoes turn mealy when exposed to low temperatures, which is why you are never supposed to put your love apples in the fridge. Number 10, again, be realistic. It isn't just frost we're fighting. It's temperatures below 40 degrees Fahrenheit. And I'm being generous here. The smart money would suggest you harvest everything before temps dip down to 40. If tomatoes have reached full size, there's a darn good chance they will slowly ripen up indoors. Or follow the advice of the famed McGrath sisters, no relation, and make some delicious fried green tomatoes. Well, that sure was some hopefully useful information about Cokes and tomatoes to ripen up now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you'll always find the latest Question of the Week at the Gardens Alive website. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he saw a strange light vanish into the sand pit behind his home and the villagers suddenly started acting really weird. Yikes. My producer is threatening to uncover my last love apples if I don't get out of the studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse of a message teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. For God's sake, please include your location. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'll be begging my last tomato plants to die with dignity so I can get out of my sauce-splattered kitchen and see you again next week. Mm -hmm.